is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be diving into confessional territory as we talk about the movies, TV shows, books, music, and pastimes that we love, and we don't care who knows it. Everybody knows what we're talking about. We're talking about the stuff that others might find cringy, weird, silly, or just plain bad. We're talking about the things that we enjoy when no one else is around. We're talking about guilty pleasures. Now, when we pick the topic for each episode of this show, we look to agree on something that all four of us share a deep affection for. But we also tend to look for things that we think will appeal to a broad number of people. Sometimes they're what we call tentpole topics. Sometimes they're deep cuts from the distant corners of the geek universe. But not everything has to be popular. Everyone's got those things they love that they feel are so bad that they're good. Or there's something that has been written off by everyone else as silly, weird, or dumb. Or there's something that might have once been widely popular or critically acclaimed, but you still took flack for liking it anyway at the time. Whatever the reason, these are the kinds of things we'll be discussing today. We call them guilty pleasures, and they are all just as worthy of our enthusiasm as the Beatles or Shakespeare. The big difference is that we often love these things more on our own than collectively. That is, until now. With me today is sad music fan, Chris Crenshaw. Hello, folks. The worst pirate I've ever heard of, Tom Hespos. But you have heard of me. And totally apolitical, Joe Pace. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> it's only just starting. Everyone, welcome. All right, so what we're going to do is a, a little bit differently uh, this time around, since we're going to go by moments of truth by category and just run through everybody on kind of like a, a round robin, a speed round. So we're going to start with the watch category and talking about our, our favorite guilty pleasure movies. I'm going to roll the dice here and see who goes first. All right, Joe, you are up first. What is your guilty oh, pleasure God. movie? Oh, for movies, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I considered the Cruise Kidman honeymoon film Far and Away, and I thought about the, that <laughs> gorgeously, gorgeously filmed Pitt Hopkins, Meet Joe Black. But if we're talking truly guilty, man, <laughs> it has to be the cutting edge. You guys know this one, right? <laughs> we're talking, we're talking Moira Kelly at her brief peak, D.B. Sweeney as the poor man's John Cusack, an utterly predictable, utterly forgettable rom-com, but it comes on i can't help but watch it it just sucks me in i don't know this movie and i like, i've heard of it but i don't, I don't know went it went to my high school like <laughs> where wait hold it stop wait say that again db sweeney went to my high school <laughs> how did you how do how am i how am i learning about this now I, I don't think we were there at the same time i think he's older than us. No, i think he's a little older than that. yeah he's it matters not older. all right <laughs> I, so, so, so joe explain to us why it is that we should love the cutting edge as much as you love the cutting edge. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because it is, um, it is exactly what it is. It makes no apologies for what it is. It is, it is cheesy. It is, it is goofy. It is a straight line romantic story. I, I love the fact, basically the, the premise for those who don't know is you have a hockey player in DB Sweeney who's ticketed for the pros. He has an injury and he gets knocked out and he can't make it. And he then turns to, he becomes a partner of this figure skater, Myra Kelly, who has been an Olympic level skater, but can't, never has the right partner and they end up together. And there's a lot of really cool, you know. Uh, do, they become, do they become champions in love? There's trainer, there's training montages set oh, to music. This yes. is like the formula <laughs> is like paint by numbers, right? It's, you know. Capital there's, F there's, formula. The formula oh, rules music, all. And it's just. I, I, honestly, it's ineffable. I can't tell you what it is that, whether it was the time in my life that I saw it that it spoke to me or what it was. Yeah. But this sucker, when you said guilty pleasure, like what is a movie that I would never tell another living soul 
and I quietly in my own time will watch after the kids and my wife go to bed and I'll put this thing on and I will watch it and I will enjoy it. Ineffable is the largest word ever used in uh, speaking about this film. Oh, not only largest, it's, it's, it's certainly not the only one with F's in it, I'll tell you that much. So when did the cutting edge come out? I, I, I vaguely remember this. Is this like a oh God, 90, like late 90s? 80s, early 90s? It, it okay. probably is around 1990. It's right when Moira Kelly was making like With Honors. And, yeah. You know, okay. so it has to be right between 89 and 92 is what I would guess. That's a good time. That's a good time for questionable really film. Really not that important. The, I, I blame this film for making Moira Kelly interesting enough that Aaron Sorkin put her in the West Wing, which he rapidly realized was a huge mistake. <laughs> I know how much you love the West Wings. You get very defensive about it. You like, <laughs> that's so good. Okay, fantastic. The bar has been I, set, I fellas. Bring it. My uh, my ex-wife love love loved this movie. So I've seen it, <laughs> and uh, and you enjoyed it. And, and, and no, I, I just want to say I understand why you're ashamed. <laughs> All right, fine. We got a long way to go, my friend. <laughs> Buckle up. Oh, I just hope. I just hope. Fired already. I just yeah. hope. Listen, you all had better had better be as honest and candid as I am, or I am I am out of here, man. Because I took my pants off, and I'm not going to be the only one here without any pants on as this thing goes along. Scouts on her. When the tide goes out, we'll see who's swimming without shorts on. My That's God, a true we fact, will. My son, this is a base. This is a safe place based on trust. At least so I've been told. All right. Well, I'm going to roll the dice. And well, you know what? Believe it or not, Chris, you're up. So you get right. to go next, man. <laughs> I'm sharpening my knives. This little tip here, I'm staying out of it. <laughs> Bring it. My guiltiest pleasure film, I think, it has that to be. That just sounds wrong when you say it that way, by the way. Guilty pleasure <laughs> film is like a whole other thing. Fair. Exactly. Fair. Uh, it is, is 2002's Steve Odekirk vehicle, Kung Pao. Enter the Fist. Oh man, this movie uh, is—I I mean, it honestly is kind of a, a work of genius in its way because what Odekirk did was took an existing, really bad 1976 Hong Kong kung fu flick yeah. called Tiger and Crane Fists, uh, shot some new footage, inserted himself into the original, and and just sort of built yeah. a, a movie around it and. You know, it's it's an absurdist sort of, you know, visual gag style movie that is absolutely stuffed with stupid, stupid jokes. I mean, he, <laughs> he uses woodchuck nunchucks. <laughs> like it was written by eighth graders. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely could have been written by eighth graders. But it is <laughs> so hysterically funny that it, it makes me like wet myself. It, it, <laughs> I cannot help it, and and I've 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 showed it. I, I once well once <laughs> I showed it to a close friend, and it, this is when I realized I should be ashamed. <laughs> he was just like, "The hell, man! What's, <laughs> What's wrong, <laughs> Chris? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> Do you need help?" But I am telling you, it's the funniest thing ever. Oh my god, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Isn't there a fight scene with the CGI cow in there? With like oh yeah, like <laughs> it's like busting martial arts moves. It's like yeah, night. It's like 2002 CGI cow. Yeah, and 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 you know, they spared several expenses. <laughs> expenses were spared. Yes. <laughs> were spared. I think what's so funny about this, Chris, is that I came 
within a hair's breadth of choosing a number of my favorite Shaw Brothers, you know, Shump Shump, you know, 1970s Hong Kong Kung Fu movies as my guilty pleasure. So I'm so glad I didn't because you, you now get to own this space. I'll tell you, that whole genre of film really owns itself up for guilty pleasure watching because it's so bad. It's so good. It's so awesome. It's so terrible. <laughs> like it's just, it's just, a, so a, a, it, it's a seething cauldron of, of conflicting feelings when you watch yeah. these things. But uh, I should point out that uh, a sequel, believe it or not, was actually announced. They made another one. In, in 2015, Aww. but uh, again, apparently no, nothing ever came of it. There, there is almost no movie so bad that it can't justify its own sequel. I mean, honestly, they're really, yeah. they're, they're just too many it was never a cutting edge too well that's because it was so perfect the first time you can't if you can't improve upon perfection well then why bother but um but but most movies generally speaking if they want to extend themselves they can you know the only the only exception to that that i really can say would be gonjosaurus rex which unfortunately did not have a sequel oh god i've seen that and i've not seen this kung pao movie (laughs) You should be able to watch it. Well, because like I saw the trailer and I noped out immediately. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I saw, I saw the trailer and like, there's no way in hell. I'm out. I'm out. I'm oh, out. Hit the record. It, See ya. Exactly. It is the coffin's out. That, that, that's a little bit of legitimacy, I figure. I mean, yeah, the Odekirks are, are funny, funny, funny gentlemen. Uh, and and I, I, for me, the movie is entirely encapsulated by the fact that the main villain, whatever his name was in the original film, in this film is Betty. <laughs> he goes by Betty. I just realized why I never saw this movie. <laughs> because <laughs> I <laughs> you, know, you guys can't see this. You gotta <laughs> Bill is turning purple right now. He is. Yes. <laughs> there are colors changing in his face. I remember uh, this, turning purple. This movie came out right around the time Fiona was born. And I, I remember thinking normally I'd see this movie. <laughs> I'm in a new chapter of my life. I need to make better decisions. I, <laughs> I think, need to be a grown-up. I think I won't watch Kung Pao. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you gotta watch it now. I thought you would never watch this movie. Yeah, dad, that. now I can't watch movies like this anymore. I can't, exactly. I'm a father. I have responsibilities. I gotta <laughs> fill my head with different things. <laughs> I got fan myself. That was too good. That's oh cool. my god. All right, I'm not recovered yet. Tom, you're next. What's <laughs> Bill has the vapors. I got the vapors. Uh, I got them bad. Okay. I had um, a number of these <laughs> guilty pleasure movies. And then like, I had to line them up and say, like, what's going to make everybody think, um, you know, me as a lesser human being? Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> I admire your I instincts. This. I admire your instincts. Like, <laughs> you guys are not going to be able to look at me the same way again. Like, <gasps> Oh, this is a good one. I think right. I may have actually already shared this, but like, okay, my, my guilty pleasure is The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. <laughs> ah! <laughs> the Andrew oh, yeah. Dice Clay vehicle. Oh! Which, oh, my you know, hair. <laughs> oh my god like th- this should be canceled a hundred million times over except that nobody can remember that the movie existed so it's it's a case this, this, this is what happens what happens when every gatekeeper on a project is doing too much cocaine at the exact same time and you just green light all the way from start to finish <laughs> I, you know I, and I don't know why I like it so much because it's it's predictable it's just a vehicle for his like trashy disgusting comedy but like I just love it for some reason and I can't put my finger on why and like 
I, I found precisely one other person in the universe who thinks this is a good movie. He's a fraternity brother of mine. And we've sat down for hours trying to figure out why we like this thing. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just still like a mystery. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the magic of Guilty Pleasures is that sometimes, like a lot of times- It's ineffable. Yeah, like you can't really describe why you like it. You just do. It just, it's on your harmonic frequency. You, know, you just can't get around it. And I think that's kind of the, the magic of some of these things. You're like, why do I like this movie? Like, I don't- yeah, I don't know. I can explain everything else in my collection, just not this one. Why am I one of the six people that likes this? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What is wrong with me? <laughs> now, Adventures of Ford Fairlane was a huge box office bomb, though, wasn't it? Oh, it almost have to have been. I don't know how it did. Uh, I mean, I had a VHS tape, tape <laughs> wore out. But, uh... Was that Chris? See, I saw it in the theater. <laughs> Chris is like, I did my part, okay? <laughs> you didn't think we were going to kill them. Walla bear, did you? <laughs> yeah. In that moment, where where we were as a culture, Andrew yeah. Dice Clay was just, he was funny. I'm, I, 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 I feel, th this is a great guilty pleasure, Tom, because yeah, I, yeah, I it, hate to tell you this. I hate, I hate to tell you that, oh yeah, I yeah. laughed my butt off at that movie. Let me just say that I was 15 when this movie came out, and I knew that I should be moving on to more mature things in my life. <laughs> and it was a time that I should be filling my head with better things. Well, the thing, the thing with Andrew Dance Clay, though, I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I was but, in college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, the, there is a slight backslide that yeah. happens. I, I'll, Fairly I'll, came I'll, out, what, like, like 92 90, or something? 90, 90? 1990. Yeah. yeah. So, I just looked it up. And in, in that weird, awkward, shifting without a clutch, you know, period of three to four years between every every decade when the 80s stopped being the 80s and 90s vanilla started ice being, time right this yeah is vanilla vanilla ice ice. Ice. this is this yeah. is in the interregnum between decades and you're not quite sure what is what and all sorts of regrettable things happen so well it's and again we're talking about a time frame when like we went from being able to enjoy things to grunge came through and then we had to hate everything because everything <laughs> had to suck right like, yeah no that I, was that, the real the pivot point right that was like, big, we couldn't, that was we couldn't big... enjoy ourselves anymore that, that was a big that, that that was not insignificant though i mean there was a thing where it's like this need to somehow an extra layer of granting yourself permission to like something really really dropped hard um on, on, a, on a lot of things i remember <laughs> i remember hearing this great interview with gwen stefani talking about the rise of no doubt and she was saying how you know their first album was kind of this like really high energy peppy almost like a ska album you know but it came like there's a lot of ska and no doubt <laughs> yeah absolutely right? but it was like it came like right around the time as nirvana and she goes guess what that music was illegal at that time <laughs> it's like it's like i get what you're saying like suddenly it was not okay to just like something openly you like you had to ask yourself why do I like it? Is it okay for me to like it? I will proceed. And like that extra layer of approval of getting it actually kind of gets to a lot of a lot of what surrounds a lot of guilty pleasures is, is that this these weird mechanisms of gatekeeping, whether they're imposed by people around us or imposed by ourselves, they kind of create this weird rind around things that we're like, yeah, it's stupid, but I love it. I don't care. And it's like there are things like, yeah, it's stupid. I love it. I don't want anybody to know. It's my secret shame. And like, <laughs> it's like it's we kind of get we got there pretty quick. I thought. I think it's not insignificant that Gwen Stefani married Gavin Rossdale, the uh, the front man of a grunge Bush, band. Yeah, yeah. 
Not insignificant at all. <laughs> Not insignificant at all. So my guilty pleasure for movies. Oh wait, uh, Tom, you have anything else to say about Ford? No, 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 no. The less said, the better. Probably, hey, yeah, right? that, I, that's because <laughs> don't think less of me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was like, that's because there is in fact nothing else to say about the Adventures of Ford. Listen, by the way, uh, the New York Times is going to call Tom to do a whole think piece on why people like you exist and what we can expect from you going forward. And... <laughs> Who did you vote for? Be used to keep me out of politics one day. Yeah, huh? yeah. like like the Pauline Kale Commandos are going to break through your your skylight with you know guns of blazing. Like bring us Tom Espo. But, but they're going to come for me first because my guilty pleasure, I honestly, I do love it. I think it's an objectively bad movie, but I love it for why it's bad and I love it for how meta it is in its badness. I adore this movie. I adored it when I watched it. And I remember taking all kinds of static for my friends. They walked out like, that movie was awful. I'm like, that movie was great. And they're like, they're like oh, don't justify it. I'm like, I will. And watch me do it. This movie is <clears throat> an action movie par excellence an action movie that not only distills every other great crappy action movie of the 1980s, it was in fact the very last movie released into theaters of the 1980s. And I am talking about Tango and Cash. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tango I and Cash. It is so awesome. It is so great. I cannot reflectively give myself metal horns when I talk about it. It is so freaking fantastic. It was like the chocolate and peanut butter of action movie making. It was Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, both coming off of a string of pretty awesome yet bad yet awesome again movies that kind of populated the 80s. They came together at a time when action movie stars like this didn't come together. This is almost like a proto Expendables, right? bringing them together like this and it was just it was just there's no reason for anything in this movie is he's ray tango investment banker also super cop he's gabriel cash he's you know he breaks the rules also super cop together they're the worst thing that ever happened to bad guys in la it's tango and cash they just get together and like jack palance who's the bad guy and honestly you have never seen anyone chew scenery the way he does in this movie he's oh, like yeah. you know he's like <laughs> he's like tango and cash cash and tango two little mice running in a trap yes i'm like whoa like this came out like the same time like jack nicholson did the joker and honestly nicholson's joker has got nothing on palance and tango and cash as far as like heavy mouth breathing <laughs> megamaniacal was this hatching, Bill, right? was this before this must have been before before City Slickers, when Jack Palance sort of came back and had that brief renaissance, right? With like the, the one-arm push-ups at the Oscars and all yes, that Yes, this is actually pre-Jack Palance. This is Jack right. Palance kind of taking the mickey out of himself and just right. like, just safety's off, right? Just completely out of the blue. This movie is just so, it's every 80s action cliche stuffed into one movie, but with an extra coat of varnish on it. So it looks nice and slick. It's just bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And the finale comes when these two guys this is still in la by the way this is not on a secret volcanic island in the south pacific sea this is in la presumably la county someplace like where people actually live and can hear fully automatic gunfire and sort of stuff right the end takes place in you know eves perrette who's the the bad guy jack palance he's got some compound somewhere on the outside of the city that is large enough to require like fortification tango and cash storm this 
in a somehow the LAPD has prototyped this armored minivan with like a 20 millimeter Vulcan cannon, like on the side of it and like all kinds of other stuff. And they're just like going to blast through here. And Jack Palance knows this is going to happen. So he's got this fleet of like trucks with M60s on them and like monster trucks with rocket pods on them. And there's like flying around. And it's like the best demolition derby in a junkyard you ever saw. I'm like, wow, this is the like this movie is like the the ultimate. It's so fantastic. It's so bad. This is a time, and we talk about like things being a product of their time and place. And we had just talked about this is the last gasp of when we could enjoy stuff just because it was big and boxy and like, you know, it yeah. was it was exactly what it, this is like Jim Leefield draws the movies, right? Like the, the same <laughs> pretty, time. Pretty and this is when we get the rock and con air and face yeah. off. And it's that, that same genre of like, you know, you guys are both seriously making the argument that this thing blazed a trail proto <laughs> expendables. Really? Yeah. Dude, I will, I will die on this hill oh gladly. God. They can plant a flag on my corpse on this one. Absolutely. I love this movie, but like, come on, that's well-worn ground. <laughs> Wrong. This movie, this movie took it to the next level. It, it, this is the actual, this is the actual guitar amplifier that goes to 11, all right? This one actually does it. I think the thing that I love about Tango and Cash, honestly, is that I think it's very self-aware. It's both a straight up play of all the garbage that made action, 80s action cinema what it was. And yet, I think to a certain degree, it was kind of like sending itself up at the same time. Like it was its own thing and also its own cliche and its own send up. And I'm not like there's some crazy auteur behind it all trying to get like inception level met on this thing. I just think that the way they did it, there's so much cocaine involved that they accidentally created something of remarkable. They wanted to create a Cadbury cream whoa, 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 whoa. and accidentally created a Fabergé <laughs> egg instead. And this oh, is why that. I can't, well, this is my guilty pleasure. I can't enthuse about this openly and have people go, you're a madman. You're crazy talk, right? That's but not you know, true. But you, you strike on something I think that's important about guilty pleasure as a component of it is that it's okay that something be fun. Yeah. It doesn't have to be great or even good to be fun. And that, that was my point. I remember coming out of the theater, my friends were looking at us like, oh my God, that was so terrible. And I was like, it was awesome. Like that was terrible. I'm like, they can be the same thing. I'm like, you guys, we went into a Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, super action cop movie. What did you expect? I mean, I, I, I mean, if you if you thought you weren't getting monster trucks with rocket pods on them in a junkyard in L.A. County, well, then you probably signed up for the wrong movie. It, it's worth noting that, uh, that that Stallone's three previous films were Lock Up, Rambo Three, and Over the Top. Not not fine films. Over the top. Not fine films. Not only is Over the Top not a fine film, Over the Top is the movie that finally put the nail in the coffin of canon film. They busted. <laughs> the Golden Globus film operation. It was so expensive. They put all their chips in that movie and that movie is D-A-D terrible. I mean, it is just- How was that an expensive movie to make other than Stallone's salary? They, well, they, well, it was Stallone's salary. It was a lot of it. Um, and a lot of arm wrestling, if I remember correctly. There, there was some. <laughs> a lot of arm wrestling. Right, was that pretty much what, what it was about? I just, I look at that movie, I think, God bless America. Like, man, and it's just, you know. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. And, and I will. Before we leave films, I, I would like to point out when I suggested this topic, I had just been watching Cobra Kai, which is absolutely not a guilty pleasure. I love uh. that show and don't feel any guilt about it. But I haven't seen Cobra Kai, but it looked like it was marketed as a guilty pleasure. And stealth turns out it's not. It's actually legitimately good on its own. But uh, yeah. like the main character is sort of stuck in the 80s and not only does he reference over the top, he's got a real thing for Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle too. <laughs> and Iron Eagle. Too. Iron Eagle. 
the the and let me just say let me just say chris before we before, you know while we're on topic, like i am a hipster on virtually nothing like i am never the first one to any party that's just the nature of the beast i was in cobra kai like on youtube nice. a year and a half ago yeah and trying to get like proselytizing, proselytizing that people should watch this game <laughs> the only other thing is i remember reading game of thrones in like 99 2000 and telling yeah. them, this is fantastic and i was like what are you talking about but um anyway i'm sorry i interrupted your so we're going to turn on to our next category of guilty pleasures, which is TV. Now, I will admit that this is an area I actually kind of wrestled with a little bit because there was so much bad TV that I've enjoyed over the years. And then there's stuff that even for this podcast, I was like, do I really want to talk about it? Like, did I like it for a good or a bad reason? Was I, in fact, guilty of liking TV? I really had no business liking, you know? So this is a, it's a tough one for me. So we're going to start and uh, see here. So I'll start. So the one I'm going to start with, this is kind of an unusual one. It's going to sound a little odd. It's not a... It's actually not an objectively terrible show or anything like that. It's actually, I think it was actually kind of a good show for what it was. It's just one of those shows that I never would have admitted to my peers that I enjoyed or that I watched at all. And it's the Nickelodeon show iCarly. Hmm. Whoa. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. So <laughs> Chris is about to I, feel so much better I wouldn't have admitted that either. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, you know, I would have said, you know, I have a, I have a young child who watches that show. And well, I, that's my, that, well, well, that's welcome the thing. Aboard, and, Bill. and, and look, I live with Tango and Cash, but I knew it was actually fairly simple. I knew this crowd would be okay with it, but I, Carla, was a little bit off the, the radar there. There's a period of time in my career, I'll come home from work after my long commute. And right as I got home, there, there's a little bit of time to when I'd come home when we'd eat dinner as a family and I, Carly was, was playing. And, it was, and my, my kids were at that age when they're watching this certain kind of block of shows for a certain period of time. And, and I'm actually kind of fascinated by looking at like, what are the shows my kids grew up with and what do they grow out of, you know, as they, as they went along. And Ike Harley falls in this period of time when they're watching a bunch of shows that were largely shows that my daughter was interested in. And Connor was just young enough to kind of ride along anyway and watch them. Like so Hannah talk- Montana and that stuff? Yeah, so like, yeah. Hannah Montana. Uh, so on Disney, we're talking about things like Hannah Montana, That's So Raven, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Wizards of Waverly Place. On the Cartoon Network, there was like things like Regular Show, Amazing World of Gumball, Adventure Time, and Nickelodeon was iCarly and Victorious. Phineas and Ferb and that kind of stuff. Phineas, yeah, Ferb, was, right. Phineas yeah. Ferb was is of the time, but that, they weren't really into it. And, and But more importantly, it wasn't a show I watched because they were watching. Like I'd come on, the show would already be ready to go. So I really had no agency over what played on TV. iCarly was one of those weird shows where, you know, certain things are written for kids, but the kind of with the knowledge that the adults are probably going to be watching it at some point in time. So there's a little bit of a sensibility for them too. There was just enough absurdity in there that it was very much aimed at my 12, 13 year old daughter, but there's stuff in there that it was just absurd enough that made me giggle. And I think it was actually better than a lot of the other shows I had to watch around them. So I had to watch, I don't watch a lot of shows alongside of my kids. I never really enjoyed this one. Actually, I kind of, I kind of liked it. So the, the, the Carly is the bossy chick from school of rock. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, Miranda um, Cosgrove? Miranda Cosgrove, yeah. That kid was acting from like the age of three up to the end of iCarly when, when she then went to, to college. When she then oh, went to confession? Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. I also kind of look back at it. It's an interesting show because it's from like these early naive years of like the very beginnings of social media and YouTube and this notion of like these kids can have a fun little web show in their loft and put it out there and be famous and like people aren't going to troll the living daylights out of them and like dox them and do all these horrible things with them. Like it was of a time when all we saw was the promise of social media and not the ugly underbelly of it. So, there, so there's a certain 
naive shine to it. But it was just it was just a kind of a cute, funny show. This is probably the only time I'll ever actually mention in public that I I watched it and enjoyed it, and I was sad to see it go. But was that the was that the show where where the characters had uh, pair phones? Yes, yes, yes. I remember it. And you're right; it wasn't a bad show. I got, uh... It actually wasn't a bad show. I mean, a lot of kids shows like that are really, really cringy, right? One of the things I really liked about it was kind of beyond the show itself. There would be these moments where I would find something just as funny as my kids found it funny. It was this neat place where as my kids were growing up and they're starting to develop what will become their adult senses of humor, it was a place where I got to learn what was funny to my kids and my kids got to learn what was funny to me. And I think that was a sort of like watching that show was a thing where we got to understand each other a little bit better. And that wasn't the nature of the show. That's not why they did it. That's not what they intended. It's just an accidental effect, but it's something I took from that show. And I kind of appreciated that experience from that show, but it was just a fun, a goofy little show. I feel like you're trying to take the shame out of this bill. <laughs> but it's a good job though. Well, you know, it's, I've got a soft spot in my heart for, for shows you get into through your kids. I mean, I have had a serious discussion with one of my career uh, mentors about like how well put together the Backyardigans <laughs> I is. I love that show. Like, that, <laughs> hell yeah, Backyardigans for life. Going yo, on that, a mission. And, 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 like, I, I don't make any yeah. like you have to absorb this stuff. You're getting it whether yeah. you like it or not. That's what? exactly it. I didn't a lot of listening to it in the back seat on long drives. I'll tell you that much. I didn't sign up for iCarly. Okay, I got drafted into iCarly, but yeah, you know what? I'm really exactly. grateful iCarly didn't punish me as bad as it could have. Okay, so iCarly actually had some legitimately funny moments. That Gibby kid made me crack up. I loved it. <laughs> you know, I loved watching um, Sam Puckett lose her mind and just scream at people. It was just funny stuff, and it just it just I didn't expect anything out of the show. So for me, everything I enjoyed was like just pure gravy you're hitting on an entire genre there right like those disney shows yeah and all that like i mean like high school musical is a great example of that same thing which i, I enjoy love i enjoy high those. school musical yes right? i said i this love is a confessional I love high it. school musical we do leave behind though the, the, the one thing that if anybody admits it they're off the show now and forever and that is um saved by the bell sorry if you want that that um, like that's we have no space i will for say that symphony amber Thiessen, you need to well take yes that that's out. different did she that's get her start there i've actually never yes. seen an episode of Saved by the bell i've never seen anything of it so i just don't terrible, I know, but some people I, have gone on to do things <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i know it's a big thing i just <laughs> i think that just landed at a time when i just even if i wanted to see it i was going like, to miss it oh yeah yeah oh no way. Yeah. Okay. 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 So now I've seen Showgirls, unfortunately, and that's not even a guilty pleasure. That's just that's just guilt. That's, that's just, a that's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it, it's just guilt. No, it's just <laughs> no. That those are those are those are. <laughs> That's that's time I'm never going to get back. And also the money that went into making that are hungry children who went unfed. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just no. Anyway. All right. Next one to go is all right, Chris. This is my most painful admission. Um, oh, but oh boy, here we I, go. Should I, I not be drinking I water? Right absolutely. Now? <laughs> Finish love, the water, man. It's going to come out. I your nose. love Jerry Springer and, and the shows like that. I no! love them. Wow. I eat them. <gasps> oh, man. I, oh, I can't get enough. Oh, like, I love it. What, what, particular, what particular flavor of Jerry Springer is uh, it like? Yeah, which one? With Jerry, it could be anything. With Maury, it was the baby daddy shows. <laughs> Those are the best. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right, yo, right, Maury, right, right. I'm 100% sure it's not my baby. It's the baby. And they, like, 
there is no greater schadenfreude on the entire planet Earth than when the guy is proven uh-huh. to not be the daddy on more on, on Maury and he's just <laughs> slide walking across the stage like in your and face so to, to his ex-girlfriend. And, it's so horrible. And, and it's, it's so, so mean. The best is when there's three guys and then the two that yeah. are the dad are like high fiving each other. Yeah, they're, yeah, right? they're fighting out in the parking lot. Now they're like best bros. Like, yo, man, not the dad. <laughs> We're in the not dad club. We, yeah, we, yeah, we bang it's, so it's not ours. It's, I, I mean, it's so nuts. I, I know. I, I should be ashamed. I should because, <laughs> yes, you know, all, what it is is about, you know, producers convincing people to humiliate themselves. And somehow it never fails you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they can put that show yeah. on five days a week forever and and, <laughs> and they did and and, yeah. and it, it works i mean it's not the girls in the stripper poles it's just the willingness of this segment of of society to lay bare themselves and admit yes i'm a terrible person and I am not ashamed. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I, I can't turn away from it. it. It's riveting to me. There is no greater distillation of a certain sliver of America than what you see on the likes of Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil and Maury and all that sort of stuff, you know. And for a long time, there was like a whole like flying wedge of shows just like that. But Springer was the one that kind of, you know, outlasted them all. And Maury, if it weren't for the paternity test, Maury would have fallen by the wayside too. He totally latched on that one, yeah. that one thing and made it his own and just owned it forever. <laughs> you know? Maury. <laughs> you know, Maury. <laughs> there's actually a moment for the show when the guy goes yo yo murray i'm totally not the not the father and i don't know why i found this so funny even to this day when i'm trying to deny something i know that i am completely guilty of like yo murray i did those dishes last night you know it's like it's like <laughs> the best thing that came out of that though was they had that shouldn't meme, but I do. The, the, there's the meme out there of of povich is like we yeah. determined that is a lie Yes. And that's become like the, the yeah. you know, very, very. That's good. a lie. <laughs> the thing about Jerry Springer, man, you got to understand is that this guy actually had a almost like, well, first of all, his whole life is like a Jerry Springer episode. The guy. Mayor of Chicago, right? He, no, he was on the Cincinnati City Council. Oh, Cincinnati. Um, okay. Yeah, he was on <laughs> I like how my memory took Cincinnati City Council and inflated it to Mayor of Chicago. I'm sorry, I'm Chicago. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, Chicago, hear you that. didn't deserve that. I'm sorry. I take it back. But he actually, he was on Cincinnati City Council for about three years, and then he had to resign after having to admit that he had solicited a prostitute. It takes a special guy to go, oh, you know, I love this world that I've descended into. Let me do a show about it. You know what? I know it. I can speak about it truthfully. I know where to find yeah, the people. He did yeah. serve as mayor of Cincinnati. That's great. Yeah, the, the, the council like appointed him to serve as a mayor for a year. He did split the mayoral term one time. Yeah, exactly. The, the Jerry Springer show is just something, oh man, it's just. Well, you had Geraldo with the chair and the nose and all that I stuff. will admit. For a brief period of time when I was working at home, yeah, like I went down like a deep Jerry Springer so rabbit hole. And that. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. No, it was like every day at lunchtime, like, oh yeah, Jerry's on. Let's <laughs> let's watch the carnival unfold. And I and I finally stopped it when one day the show was going ballistic and little Fiona toddled in and she sees the show, she just goes, Rah! and like shouts, like mimicking the the rancor she sees on the screen. I'm like, she, she threw a chair at you. I was like, I brought the devil into this house. And I was like, right? I have to turn the show off forevermore. Yeah. It's just a bad clearly a moral failing on my part. I mean, you know, I Oh, I, yeah, me too. It, 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 it is absolutely. shameful for me to enjoy people humiliating themselves. 
That is a bad thing. So to that end, Chris, this is where I have to admit, my initial choice for TV guilty pleasure was going to be when I went deep, 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 deep down the VH1 themed rabbit hole of uh, Rock of Love and Tool Academy. Celebrity Fit Club and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's some shows that were just like straight up victimization of people's misfortune, but Rock of Love was like watching wrestling and I freaking adored it. And then Tool Academy, to this day, I've conversation with my cousin and when we talk about like if ever she wants to question my judgment she goes well you know bill let's just let's just she just says tool academy like i know i know i know (laughs) the thing the thing about this about jerry springer is this that there is not one of us who hasn't traveled for work in the in the 90s before cable was broadly available in hotel rooms that didn't scroll through the channels see jerry springer and stop for a while we've all done it and so i i will not pile on your shame christopher Everyone stopped and looked at the window. Everybody stopped. It's craning your neck out to look at the. That's right. Look at the train wreck. Absolutely. It was impossible to 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 turn away entirely. Rosemary's Baby. It's horrific, but you can't look away. Exactly. All right. Coming up next, Chris. By the way, you did heroes work with that confession. That was a good thing you did. Thank you. Thanks, man. I I I feel I feel lighter. (laughs) Joe, you're up. Oh God, I'm up for TV. Well, I'll tell you this. I have watched and enjoyed Downton Abbey. I have watched and enjoyed Gilmore Girls. But for the purposes of this crew, uh, and as a huge Star Trek fan, I will hereby confess that I watched and enjoyed the entirety of Babylon 5. (laughs) I like Babylon 5, and I'm not ashamed. (laughs) That's a deeply tribal thing you just said there and there are people out there who are going to cut you right now like they're going <laughs> to <You're> done. <laughs> done like strike strike force straczynski is going to come find the pace household and they're going to burn it to the ground i will say this i will say this about babylon 5 it um it is not star trek it doesn't try to be star trek and yeah. the comparisons are not apt the graphics and the effects are basically done by like an 11th grader <laughs> but some of the writing some of the characters some of the stories are actually quite compelling i totally agree that's one of the shows where i remember following it initially in its first season yeah you know what this is hot garbage i'm gonna do something else anything else maybe i'll watch jerry springer click yeah. and then what happened that people were like no this show has developed amazingly it's got a five-year plan it actually built to something it's got this massive meta plot it's really really cool it's yeah. a huge narrative payoff you got to give it time i don't doubt them i'm sure it's there i've just never come back to it because i never got over my initial yeah whatever and just sort of flip past it People speak of this mythical city off in the distance. I'm like, I'm sure it's there, Chief. Okay, I'm not going to go walk across the desert to find it. And like, that's kind of how, how I yeah. approach it. That's how I, there are certainly things that people have said. Oh no, no, you've got to, you know, once you get through that, like, Shit's Creek is a great example. I watched the first few episodes and I was like, I have no interest in this television. Yeah. People are like, no, no, you got to get to season four, and I'm like, I, I ain't got time for that. I, you know, there's, I got to stack this high stuff. <laughs> yeah. I get. I'll tell you, a show that's absolutely like that for me is, a, and it's a part. It's a show I adore is Parks and Rec, right? Parks and Rec is- I've heard that the first season's terrible and then- <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's really, it doesn't yeah. really find its legs at all till like the till the second half of the first season. But even then, it doesn't really kick up till the second season. Like if they took a whole season to find out, to really to figure out how are we not the office? Yeah, yeah, And exactly. then to move yeah. on from there. But once it finds its zone, it becomes a wonderful, really, really fantastic show. It's so it's unfair like, though, because think about it. Like if you had to watch- Seinfeld starting with the first episode and like going from there, you'd never watch it after the first, you know what I mean? Like, things have to find their legs a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think it's something, it's an interesting artifact of the streaming age where you can binge watch entire shows. You're like, okay, you yeah. watch and it should be easier than ever to blast past that initial 
kind of learning there's curve so of much show. content there's, there's so, so much, much content. content you're like you know what i need somebody's gonna be awesome from the very first episode or else it's not it's not gonna happen fire hose here i don't have time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly maybe if there were three of me or maybe if i was like some sort of android and i could watch it's, three shows at once you know Adrian. it's like the it's like the editor or the literary agent who gets the slush pile and if in the first page it's no friggin' good see you later yeah it's gone goodbye to on to. exactly my time is too valuable i've heard great things about babylon 5 and it's got some really great actors in it and i heard that some of the plot lines are really really terrific I just, I feel bad that I've never given it a second chance that it probably deserves, to be honest. I don't even know a thing about it. Like, in my head, it's got this sort of, like, loose association with Scientology, (laughs) which I'm not sure is deserved or not. But, like, whatever, that, that, like, made me I don't know if that's true, but I will say this. I like how Tom's just bolting on things, other things I don't like under this thing. So like, he's doing like, like the Trump, like some people say. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't know. I don't like. I don't know. Not me. Some people have said. Yeah, like I don't like Babylon Five. I don't like creamed onions. They they are now together where, in the same part of my head. Like I don't. Know. <laughs> where Babylon Five suffered was that it came out about the same time as Deep Space Nine. Yes. And yes. they were both about a space station. And so yeah. people went, I can only have one. And yeah. I'm going to take the Star Trek one. I'm not going to take the knockoff. Yes. And, and that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only much later that a friend of mine who I trusted completely and implicitly said, you have to watch this and watch it all the way through. And I said, okay, this guy's recommendation was enough for me. And I, yeah. I stuck. And he sent me the DVDs. He mailed me the DVDs. <laughs> and I sat and I watched. It was when Sarah was in medical school and I had time at night by myself. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to plow through it. And I did it. And I was I was glad that I did. Well, then, yeah. See, I don't see this as guilty play. Right. Is your guilt only as a Star Trek fan? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know his guilt is a Star Trek tribal, fan. I have tribal There's guilt. qualifier, yeah, because it will get him murdered, you know, <laughs> in the Star Trek community. Yeah. <laughs> It's like being a gun owner. Yeah, yeah. And I think the guilt comes that I have never watched the entirety of Deep Space Nine. Oh. Mm. You will get your chance, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that I think that's... So, so Joe, I think if you do feel guilt about this, then with guilt comes penance. And I think what your penance for this would be to watch the entirety of the Orville, which is... Oh, I, have, I love no, the Orville. Orville is actually fantastic. Oh, I, I, Surprisingly, I, like, yeah, that's no, like another show. We got, I think, three episodes in. My wife and I watched. I'm like, ooh, like, all right, one really more good. episode. And the next episode was great. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap, this is actually a surprisingly terrific show. It's the best Star Trek since TNG. It's like they went back and like just did a spinoff of TNG. It was so it was so well done. I really, I really, really deeply enjoy this. Well, show. it's the same people. It's the same people. It's the same executive producers that did TNG. Was it really? That, that are involved with the I don't know that. that. All right, Tom, TV, guilty pleasure. You're the last oh. man standing. Go. Uh, mine comes with a qualifier too and a story, <laughs> but um, all right. The qualifier is that, like, I am riveted by every episode of this show, and that's the thing that makes me embarrassed. Ooh. And it's we're going back to VH1. Yes, the music. Is What's that? My, oh, behind the music. Which you know, I know a lot of people love, but like, you don't love the episodes that I love. Like, there are artists that I cannot stand, and I will happily sit through there behind the music. Like Miranda Lambert, like can't stand her, will happily sit through behind the music. You know, like, I, I don't know what it is about the show, but like, right, this actually, like, my love for this particular series crossed over into my career and caused me some pain. So now I have to tell the story, okay? I got a call, a client referral from like a good friend of mine back in the day who was, uh, you know, big in the online advertising space, a guy by the name of Tom Forbes. He was, uh, you know, a writer for the space for a long time. We were good friends. And he's like, hey, I got something for you. 
my brother is working on this cool travel thing that like he's doing a website and everything. He really wants your advice. Tom Forbes' brother is Jim Forbes, the guy who narrated all of the behind the wow. musics. And so I call this guy up and, you know, Tom did warn me to his credit that like he's the narrator from, you know, behind the music. <laughs> I call him up and I spent a lot of time on the phone with this guy a couple of hours into meeting, I was like, I don't know if I can work with this person because I'm going to ask him to go. And now they hit rock bottom and he's going to hate me forever for it. And like, literally I could not work with the guy and yeah. I just, I, I kind of ghosted him. I feel bad, but like <laughs> I ghosted Jim Forbes because I was too embarrassed to like show my fandom and <laughs> <laughs> That's that is fantastic. outstanding. That's so fantastic. That's that's so fa my you know my favorite behind the music episode actually isn't from the show. It's the Simpsons behind the music. Of course, it is. I was going to say, which is it's when this is the moment when Homer buys MC Hammer's old mansion and he just bangs on the on the thing in the front gate so it reads Homer time. <laughs> so good. It's okay. But no, but, but behind the music, it kind of, it, honestly, it's just a higher gloss thing that touches that same sordid world that Jerry Springer touches, which is like, inevitably, it's all about remarkable self-immolation, right? It's about watching something great collapse into something terrible. And that show delivered that regularly. I think with a lot of those things, you already knew that like a lot of these acts had kind of blown to pieces. Now it's like the forensic examination of how it actually happened. So there's kind of a weird like veneer of respectability about it. Like let's peel back exactly why Bananarama decided to kill each other. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? I sit there watching like, I know the drummer from Def Leppard loses an arm at some point during yeah. this story. When's it gonna, when's the shoe gonna drop here? <laughs> yeah, right, what's, when's it losing the arm? Come on. <laughs> but you're right though because it was all about the timing of like that when we come back we find out more about how cornflakes figured into the eventual third album yeah. it's like oh, what? exactly <laughs> triumphant exactly. return exactly <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can't even go to the bathroom during the ads i don't want to miss <laughs> yeah. a second of this. And, and you know unfortunately like social media and the kind of entertainment point we have now and, and frankly the self-disclosure we see amongst acts it kind of renders a show like that impossible anymore like that was a show that really relied on a certain scarcity of information it, you'll never have that kind of thing again and so it was an enormously fun show to watch but i do love tom how like <laughs> nobody loves the episodes that you love because you love them all <laughs> like, i would any episode of that show like i christina aguilera like why do i why am i interested in christina because she like, might like, you won't just listen. take her top off and do some coke in front of school children She's crazy. You like, just never know. She's dirty. She's dirty is the word. Right? Oh God. Behind the music, this is a perfect seg to our next segment, which is right, music that is our guilty pleasures. So let's move on to that. Going first is Joe. You're up. Chicago. Specifically, I'm not talking about Chicago with the fat horns when they were you know, Are you talking about Peter Satara Chicago? Specifically Peter Satara. I'm talking hard habit to break. Along comes a woman. Mm. Hard to say. I'm sorry. Yes. Singles buddy. like singles like Gloria Love. Next time I fall, one good woman. Yes. Listen, when I was in high school, I am the man who will fight for your honor. <laughs> yes, exactly. But what I'm saying is, if when I was in high school, if you are the inspiration, came out of the dance, that was crunch time. Hell yeah. Okay? That was like time to make it happen, so Captain. There it is. <laughs> That's exactly right. That was go time. It was the two minute warning. It was like now or never, because if the yeah. final gun. The final gun is Stairway to Heaven. You're the inspiration is the penultimate song. 
<laughs> and it's the one where like, if you're not dating someone, you are scanning the wall. Like who is it? Who's the, you're the Air Force pilot who's running low on gas. <laughs> that, that. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. I hope it's always open. I, dude, unabashedly, I loved Peter Stare here in Chicago. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's with the past tense? <laughs> huh? Well, because I don't, I don't, because I don't so encounter. You're not guilt together. I don't encounter in the. <laughs> Well, no, no, it's because it's because I don't encounter it in the wild. No, anymore, I've decided right? I don't so, encounter. No, no more guilt. Now you just get. No, no, but 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 at the time, I wouldn't consider myself a Chicago fan. I wasn't buying their albums, but I would see it on MTV all the time, right? And so and so, I would constantly come across it. I'm like, man, I freaking love this tune. I wouldn't seek it out, but I was grateful for it every time it crossed my path. And it did it a lot back then. But it's kind of fallen off the rotation. Although I will say, Frozen Two has got this yes the, it's a peter Cetera, lost in the woods is the most yeah. beautiful sublime send-up of certera era like power ballads and i remember like it starts off and we're, we're like my wife and i look at each other like oh this is gonna happen as <laughs> it kicks in and we're like it's on every everybody of our vintage was howling at that scene because it nails it nails the energy of those songs the super bombastic super earnest like heartfelt schmaltz <laughs> that powers a certain song it's so good see because to me we're talking now what we're talking ario speedwagon we're talking journey we're talking oh, about I mean, air there, there's an entire you know, survivor yeah. uh you know uh cheap trick i mean we're talking about an entire all know, those power ballads uh, yeah man yeah <laughs> cheap trick is leagues from that i am sorry <laughs> well i'm just saying that, uh, in that cheap trick, they put their toe in that pool man and that stains the, it they, stains they spend the some, and the thing is <laughs> The thing is, in the late every '80s, they all did. Poison did. All yeah, of them made they all did. like head fakes. They made head fakes toward this stuff yeah. because it was. Selling. You know, I'm even going to take it a step further. I I like Chicago even after Peter Cetera left and uh, Jason. What's his uh, name? Whatever. You know, yeah. I don't want to live without your love. Look away. Songs like that. Like, <laughs> That's good stuff. Though. Yeah, it's always a great song. Yeah, that is great stuff. It's good stuff. Oh man. Yeah. I, uh, well, I love well, that. What was so funny is I remember hearing people losing their marbles over like, oh man, like this is crap. I like the old Chicago. And I'm like, old Chicago? What? Like, 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 like 25 or 6 to 4? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, like, like Saturday like, in the park? Yeah, it's like, I don't know who that is. You got to have some Terry Kath era Chicago yeah, in there. Or you're... That's like, that was when they were a fat horn band. Yeah, a fat horn band. They had a thick sound and it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty awesome. But, but to me, that was like, I like the I like the Eagles from the 1960s. That's grand. They're not the Eagles from the 80s. Okay, they're two different teams. Everybody's. Completely... I don't like Starship. I like Jefferson. I like Airplane. Airplane. Exactly. It's like uh, I'm here to tell you, same people, different band. That's just the way it goes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, cheesy, schmaltzy. So you know what? I don't care. I I loved it, and I will wear my guilt proud. That fromage is high quality. Is there a is there a particular song that you that you really really love? Oh, you're the inspiration. Is it? It has to be. I mean, that that was my favorite song when I was in high school. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Oof. They, oh man, it was it was so good. That's a heck so of an admission, there, Joe. I I, I respect right? that. <laughs> what you gotta oh. understand is Billy Joel is my favorite artist, yes. and but don't, don't take and that's not here no. because there's no guilt. <laughs> I'm a long no guilt involved in that. Then I, you'd have to put me under like serious drugs to make me put Billy Joel in the guilty pleasure zone. I'm sorry. I just well, I wouldn't only because there's no guilt involved. Yeah, he's he's a pre America's preeminent singer songwriter from the working class. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, no, he's they're, awesome. You won't take yeah, except me for that guy named Bruce Springsteen. But uh, <laughs> I'm talking about this all the time. No, I still got the wrong end of the deal on this one. Springsteen is a working class cosplayer. Oh. I live in his neighborhood. You better just back off of that right now, okay? Mom of the County Shots represents for Bruce fired. Springsteen, so don't even bother, Joe. Come on. 
All right, moving on. You took something beautiful and made it trash. Like what you did. All right, Chris, you're up. I moved from uh, Maryland back to the Richmond area where I grew up, a little town called Mechanicsville, uh, very rural. The school system was pretty good. Hanover County had good schools. You know, I slotted right in, made friends quickly. And two of the three guys who were, you know, my, my new like besties were uh, singers. They were, they were in the chorus. Um, they, in fact, they were in like the select chorus, like the, the little, the, the, the 12 person group, wow. you know, the, the, mm. the really good singers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I love singing. I love singing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not good. I was better than, but, but never very good. And I was a bass. Um, they were tenors. We would sing together. And they introduced me to this band called the Nylons. <gasps> I remember the Nylons from college. You playing them for me. Yeah. I remember those um, guys. Yeah. They, they, the Nylons were a Canadian band that did American standards, I guess you'd say. Uh, you know, stuff like Love Potion Number 9 or, or Kissing Goodbye or, you know, the lion sleeps tonight and they did it with a drum kit and voices there were there were no musical instruments and the effect is you know in retrospect cheesy af if i like the whistle poofs from you they're like an yeah yeah so yeah they're kind of like imagine if peter sotera was all five people from pentatonics right <laughs> These guys, you know, it was like we have four gay white dudes and a gay black dude, and the gay black dude was the bass. You know, I I, I could sing their songs. You know, I could yeah. I could hear the parts. I could sing their songs, and I loved them. I got all their albums. Uh, I still listen every now and again, although not too often, because mostly when I listen to music, it's on headphones and you know on planes, and I can't sing. <laughs> exactly. I'm listening. I'm singing. You're singing. Yeah. And it's cheesy. It's so cheesy, but it's so great. I I, I really do love it. I, I um, this is not the kind of stuff you hear on the radio, obviously. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I have you, to see. You would even I, have to go hunting on Sirius XM to find it. Really. <laughs> I, I have to pull it out and play it. You know, so I'm I'm seeking it out, and whenever I do, it, it it's it's this rush of uh, nostalgia, yes, but they feed this fantasy of mine where where I was a singer, mm. you know, yeah. I, I was in a band, and even if we were making uh, you know cheesy music, I'd have been singing. I will never stop going back. I don't think it, it, there's so yeah, there's not maybe not enough guilt involved here, but if you heard these guys, and I encourage you uh, listeners to uh, just you know look up the nylons, uh, listen to a song or two on YouTube, and you'll see why I am a little ashamed. Because like I, mean, I want to make fun of you for this, but I can't because it's just like you're so like you're so into it that like I, I... <laughs> he's loving it for the best of reasons, it's right? Sacrosanct I mean... ground, like. <laughs> You talk about Let's it. Let's make fun of him for loving his friends. That's a loser. <laughs> I will tell you this. So I remember being in Chris's dorm room freshman year of college, and he had this banging JVC multi-disc, you know, things. This is back time when you could have like those cartridges, like five or six discs at a time. And Chris had this like rack of like, here's my cool, my here's like my smooth jams Uber mixtape of the time. Like, wow, he he like put effort into this. But he's like, and now let me check in. And he goes, 
I check out the nylons bam and listen to it and i was like all right this is cool i dig it and i, I was also in choral groups in high school and I, I was like i get why he likes it i don't get why he likes it this much but you know what i'm taking so much crap for being a speed metal fan i'm not gonna say anything he can have the nylons because because i'm an anthrax fan by god and i am not in anthrax country right now so he can have nylons all day long <laughs> And that was one of my first lessons in like just because he just because you don't like what somebody else loves let them love it don't get in their way of it i mean just have to, let them, it brings them joy just do it you know he's and, a nerd uh, it's fine <laughs> seriously i'm sure over time i'll have plenty of legitimate reasons to hate this guy you know <laughs> the nylons are not one of them <laughs> And Sorry. lo and behold, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next one is uh, all right. It's me. My musical guilty pleasure is a song. It was actually really, really popular for a time. It was huge, and it's become probably one of the most recognizable earworms from the 1980s. And I think there are a lot of people out there who still really love this tune. I just remember that I, <laughs> I had this weird thing where I enjoyed this song when I first encountered it. I was kind of stuck in a weird sort of prison cell for about a year and a half because the, the Chevy Chevette we drove to and from school, the tape deck broke with a bootleg tape stuck in it that had this album on one side and Peter Gabriel so on the other. And that's all I listened to for a long time. So I need to like both albums quite a lot. But then this song very much, it was so overplayed and just the times changed and it fell out of favor, but I never stopped loving it. And I had to go through this long period in the desert where I like this thing and people were like, you should have like stopped liking that a long time ago. And I'm like, I still love it. I don't care who knows it. And this song is Take On Me by AHA. <laughs> I, the best driving song. Holy crap. Oh my God. First of all, Hunting High and Low is a great album start it to is. finish. I don't care who knows it. I don't care who wants to fight me for it. Like I will, I love this album. Now, part of it, I've listened to it 94 million times. Okay. So I had to learn, I had to learn to love it or I'd lose my marbles. And Take On Me, honestly, just, it just, it's a song that absolutely kicked off my early love for just like syntho kind of, kind of music. It goes without saying that I, I discovered during the early MTV years, so you could not escape its utterly, utterly groundbreaking music video, which is just this beautiful, super, super cool rotoscoped animation. Um, for people who haven't seen it, just go, just look up. Everyone's seen it. But for the five people who didn't, look it up on YouTube. It's, it's actually, that video is one of a handful of videos that's actually broken the billion views mark on YouTube. Believe it or not, I believe it. That song has almost become like shaving a haircut for anybody in Generation X. If you go, dun 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 dun, and somebody else is going to go, they're going to have to finish it, right? That's why I say if that song comes on and you're driving, you're getting a ticket. I don't care because you're going to go 20 miles an hour faster than you're supposed to. I strongly feel that what separates good songs from great songs is that the great songs remain great even when they are kind of when they're rearranged and done in different different ways and i've heard take on me done a couple different ways apart from its official version i've heard a symphonic version of it that was just fantastic i remember taking like a lot of static in college and post-college like take on me dude seriously that ship has sailed i'm like man you know what i'm still on it <laughs> in 2018 2017 aha reformed for an acoustic tour they dropped this secretly recorded episode of MTV's Unplugged and they did their tunes acoustically. And there's an acoustic version of Take On Me. And I mean, the singer, he's nearly 60 when he records it, right? And it is so beautiful and so soulful and so well done. It's just remarkable. But the best thing about it is that if you've seen Deadpool 2, end of that completely bizarre, wackadoodle, everything about Deadpool, 
that movie pulls the greatest bait and switch ever, which it suddenly hits the brakes and you're thrust into this remarkably touching scene when Wade Wilson crosses in the afterlife and finds his girlfriend there. And they play this acoustic version of Take On Me. It's gorgeous. And it's gorgeous. And I was in the theater and grown men my age were crying at it. And it was, like, and it's, it was the music made the scene. And I remember thinking, ha ha, I told you. I told you all. It's a great song. And now we're Deadpool's proving it for me right now, 20 years after the fact. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a slight chance that Take On Me is too good of a song to be a guilty if I have to choose a different song, then I'm going to need a backup. I'm going to need right. a backup. Too, um, too. Will mm-hmm. Sticks's Mr. Roboto count? Ooh, yes. that's a good one. <laughs> so I thank you very much. Shame. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Oh, you Mr. guys are going to love mine. Mr. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Roboto is the first album I ever bought with Mo and Money. Bought it for the single Mr. Roboto. I freaking loved it. It was my entry into Sticks, which is a band I absolutely adore, one of my favorite bands of all time. And I took such a ration of static and flack from my friends for liking sticks in general. And you know what? I, over time, I realized what I was taking a lot of static for was really, it was because there's, there's really two versions of sticks, right? Sticks was a band that was always kind of like this weird chimera. There was the Dennis DeYoung, cheesy Broadway, Peter Cetera-esque aspect to it. Right. And then there was the hard rocking Tommy Shaw version of sticks. And often you get both in the same album, right? And it felt like two different bands warring for the, for a sound. And as I've gotten older, I've realized just how cheesy the Dennis DeYoung sticks really is. It's, it's weird. It's everything about the seventies and eighties. I kind of want to forget, but the Tommy Shaw stuff is hard rocking. It's fantastic. My greatest moment singing Chris is when I sang renegade karaoke in new Orleans and brought the house down. It was awesome. <laughs> it was my finest hour. It was fantastic. Nice. Sung with my dear friend, Sean Moynihan who's singing backup on me, which is a, laugh because sean's a professional singer and i should be singing back up for him not the other way around but he did me a solid there it was fantastic but i love sticks but man i had to pay for it for years and like after a while i stopped telling people i like sticks because i got beaten up so bad for it but it all started with mr roboto i'm like i love mr roboto well that's where you made that was your first error there bill that's where you went wrong <laughs> look they speak japanese how can you not like it I, I, exactly I should say I probably learned what Doma Arigato means from Mr. Obato. So right. you have you have that, you know. <laughs> so anyway, oh anyway. Oh my god. Well, Tom, bring us home on music. What's, what's your what's your guilty pleasure? All right. So now I have to tell the story first before I tell you what it is. So like <laughs> we had a, a used CD store uh, still in business a few years ago. So I used to like to go there and like pick up like 99 cent CDs, <laughs> bring them home and rip them and you know, put them on my computer to expand my music collection and I go into the store this one time and there's an album there that is a sticks album and it is also an REO Speedwagon album oh my yeah <laughs> they toured together and they did. put together this uh, this album called Arch Allies and I didn't know this existed before I walked into the it's a live album they go back and forth between sticks and REO and I, I saw this in the store and I got so excited that I ran it back up to the counter where I got probably the, like the worst judgmental look I've ever gotten in my life. And like, you've never met my dad and seen how many ju- judgmental looks he threw me. Like, 
I, 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 like I wanted to creep under the counter when the guy gave me this look, but like that is my guilty pleasure is this album. I loved it so much. And like I, I my it's initially going to be Ario Speedwagon because you know everybody thinks they're cheesy, but like I, I, I love them. I defy yeah. you. Like listen to that opening piano riff. I will and take it on the changes run and just yeah. not oh my God, be happy. Yeah. Like, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but I love both bands and like, I, I you know, sticks bothers me now. Cause you know, Tommy Shaw is such a jerk, but that's the part of, yeah, he is. I really like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there's so many levels to this, you know, this guilty pleasure. Like there's no reason I should like it, but like, I was yeah. so excited to get that album and so happy to add it to collect my collection. And I listen to it all the time. It is I am I am so overjoyed that we accidentally like Lego blocked our, our guilty pleasures of sticks together without coordinating <laughs> beforehand. I, 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 so, so, so the thing is, I, I knew Sticks and R.O. Speedwagon had gotten together and toured. I didn't realize they recorded anything off this. That's really awesome. Yeah. Now, now when they, the collection, so. so I kind of lost the plot because Sticks' lineup changed a bunch of times. And when the band broke up, there's like a lot of lawsuits between Tom, uh, Dennis DeYoung and the others, like who could actually call themselves Sticks. And eventually they figured that out. When this tour happened, what version of Sticks was this? Was this Dennis DeYoung Sticks or, or what? No, uh, but it was, it was still a, a good album. Like, and by the way, on, on Behind the Music, <laughs> they oh, go into the sticks behind the music is really great where they go into all the infighting that went back and forth. Um, and, you know, another thing that's hysterical is my in-laws, like, I want to say four or five years ago, went to go see Dennis DeYoung live. He played like the little amphitheater, you know, in town <laughs> and, and spectacular, spectacular, according to their review. But uh, really? Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, that's like one of those things where they really did have two bands. Yeah. And 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 they really, I think, pulled off both. Like, I, I, I love the Tommy Shaw stuff, but I also love, you know, Dennis DeYoung. Like, some of yeah. the most, you know, emotionally moving songs from Styx came out of his head. So, it's yeah, like can't, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it was like two bands. It was like, you know, Van Halen yeah. and Van Hagar. You can't, uh, you know, they're two different <laughs> things. <laughs> I think DeYoung, I think he's a fine musician. He's just, he's just got questionable taste. <laughs> so... <laughs> So like yeah, how, yeah, so how he how he employs his skills is, is a little weird. Like you half expect him to wear a high collared sequin cape when he's playing, you know. Like it's just I, I don't I know. Think it's, he did in concert. Yeah, <laughs> did <it> really? <laughs> well, that's my father-in-law. But <laughs> oh man, I would find out for myself. But I've got too much time on my hands. Ah! <laughs> You're welcome. You love that nothing at all, Tom. Oh, dude. <laughs> That's I, air supply. Yeah, air supply. I sang that song oh, so precisely. I'll yeah. confess to that as well. Oh my god! And they were fantastic. They were. I. I have no doubt. We're moving on to the next section, which is read. So books that are that are regrettable. Let's see who goes first here. First one is. Oh, okay, it's me. So I'm going to start off. I don't know if this is objectively bad to be honest with you. So I'm going to start with my safe one, so I can get to my real one. Okay, the safe one is my second <laughs> choice. It's a fine comic book. It's just that at the time it wasn't particularly cool for me to like it, given how old I was. But I was buying absolutely everything Marvel put out. Like, literally, we had a mail subscription. Every single title Marvel got, we were gill-netting the entire publisher. And so I was getting and reading everything. And at that time, Louise Simonson, she wrote this new uh, thing called Power Pack. And yes. big shout-out to Louise Wheezy Simonson, who is 
not only one of the finest comic book editors ever and a great writer to boot and is just a bedrock in the history of modern comics. I think even for all those accolades, she's in the Hall of Fame, even for all of that, she's still probably critically underrated because people don't Agreed. know, not enough people know who she is. So I heard somebody once say they, they, the audacity, oh yeah, she's she's Walt Simonson's wife. Uh, you might say that Walt is Louise Simonson's husband. I mean, like seriously, Louise Simonson is badass. She's fantastic, huge fan of hers. But she did Power Pack. And Power Pack was this great comic of these four kids Alex, age 12, Julie, age 10, Jack, age 8, Katie, age 5. They discover an alien spaceship, the alien, which is a basically an anthropomorphized horse kind of alien. He's dying. He's a chimera. Yes, uh, Alfire White Mane, also known as Whitey. Uh, regrettable now, but, you know, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, anyway. Well named him Honky. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> This alien bequeaths its powers to these kids and they all have to, you know, suddenly they have these powers and they're fighting these alien reptoids called snarks. And there's this cool little corner of the Marvel Universe where Louise Simonson wrote like really convincing kids. And by the way, they bickered. And, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, and, and it was also June Brigman was the early penciler and she did a phenomenal job drawing these kids as kids. They didn't look like scaled down adults. They looked like actual kids. At that time, I was like just older than the kids in the book, I wanted to put all that stuff behind me. So I'm like, I'm too cool for this, you know? But I still read it for a while. I was like, this is actually really well done. And it was amazing because it touched upon, it was a superhero stuff, but it really touched upon like what it means to be part of a family and thing. And it, and it touched upon some heavy stuff that a lot of comics weren't oh, yeah. touching. Things like drug abuse and child abuse and runaways and homelessness and, you know, sexual Parental predation. Grief. The book went places. It did a lot of great stuff. But I remember... I took an enormous amount of flack for reading at the time. Like, oh my God, what are you doing? But you know, the funny thing is, this is in 1984, this book launched. And I remember you know, two years later, we got The Watchmen and we got Dark Knight Returns, two books that are kind of kind of really widely praised for kind of being these big meteorite level, you know, the comic world changed. But I'm like, you know what? As a reader, my world was changed two years before when I read Power Pack. And I was like, you know what? This actually got me, it got me to start thinking about comics differently. And it got me to start thinking about storytelling differently and about who the protagonist could and should be. And it, it was a different kind of storytelling. And I really appreciated it at the time. And I have continued to appreciate it at the time, even though everybody I knew in my cohort were like, wait a minute, you're reading Power Pack? I mean, I may as well have been reading Little Golden Books. I mean, they were just so brutal to me for reading Power Pack. I'm like, I'm, you're still buying Power Pack? Yeah, I'm still buying Power Pack. It's a good book. That fell on deaf ears for like a long time. So before we leave Power Pack, I was nine or 10 reading Power Pack. And so I was, I was right in your zone to the point where like, for me, as much as I had a huge crush on Kitty Pride at the time, like Julie Power was more of my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, light speed. Um, yeah, right. Who <laughs> they later, of course, revealed that Lightspeed actually wound up being um, a lesbian, I think, in, in the Marvel canon. Oh, really? Um, with, with the Young Avengers and, and things okay. like that later. But um, that's cool. Yeah. So there's another one I drove to the other side. Yeah. Um, so. I, I want to point out Power Pack. That's a book that does not get the credit it deserves in history. It completely changed and, and redefined the character of Wolverine, who is yeah. the biggest character marvel ever had other than maybe spider-man when katie power appears in the mid 190s uh, 195 of, oh, un yeah. uncanny x-men and suddenly wolverine is is a protector of children yeah. not just a scary man he's scary he scares katie but she knows she can trust him yeah or, or quickly there, learns yeah. that she can and 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 that absolutely changed the character of wolverine forever 
my initial choice was going to be something that is it's 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 such a guilty pleasure i'm actually kind of ashamed to even mention it because because they are so i look at it now and i'm like oh my god they're so horrible when i was a kid i used to be a huge reader of mac bolin novels he was written by this guy named don pendleton and he did the series it was like men's adventure pulp novels right they got started in the late 60s by 1980 it was bought by this company called gold eagle and they they, they assembled this phalanx of like like dozens of ghostwriters and they were cranking out a Mac Bolin or a Mac Bolin affiliated novel, like one a month, right? One a month. Yeah. It was fun. And it was all this like supercharged Reagan era. Let's go kill scores of terrorists and scumbags and all those guys, the drug pushers, the pimps, the the terrorists, all those. It was just all like all all the guys Rorschach hated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like (laughs) hyper Bronson hyper, you know, it was, it was just, it was just so crazy. And, I, and at the time, I was like, these are so much fun to read. But like looking back at them now, I just, I really recoil. I'm like, oh God, these things are awful. Like even as an artifact at the time, because they're still being published now and they're still the same thing now. And now it's just like, oh God, like there are people who are reading these books and really having a good time with them that I wouldn't break bread with. I'm like, oh God, you know what? These things kind of served a, a weird purpose. And I actually do feel a bit of a, a kind of a, a, t- a twinge of shame when I talk about these things because it's like, they're just, ugh. not only are they, I mean, they're crappy pulp fiction books. Yeah. But like the things they say and the things they say that I'm about and that sort of thing, they're just, they, 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 they don't come from a good place. I probably could have spent my time reading something better for myself. So that's why I didn't really get too into them. But Power Pack was awesome. My brother would not lay off about Power Pack. My friend James would not lay off about Power Pack. It's like I, we would get into we would get into arguments about like you know what comic do we like better or worse, and like oh, I don't know, Bill is it better than Power Pack? I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like, like leave me alone, okay? So, moving on, next one to go is Joe. What is your reading guilty pleasure? It's funny because it's it's equal parts exceptional craftsmanship together with some some really questionable <laughs> questionable content as well. For me, it has to be um, Piers Anthony. Oh my god! Uh, that, that, yeah. I was gonna bring it up. <laughs> the, um, Piers Anthony. The, 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 listen, listen. I'll say this: Zanth, Split Infinity, Incarnations of Immortality, yeah. all had huge huge impacts on me as a young reader and as an early yeah, writer. Yeah, same. Um, Anthony was so capable of such innovation and brilliance. Um, he was, he married plot and character and setting in a way that very few fantasy and science fiction writers have ever matched. And yet he has these nagging problems with gender and sexuality oh. that, that has aged really badly in some cases. Yeah. And it got worse as it went on, yeah, actually. Anthonology um, was very unfortunate. <laughs> well, he, he developed the incarnations of immortality, frankly, are some of the best conceived novels yeah no uh, on, on a pale um, horse is terrific on a pale horse is terrific and then the the, the whole meta plot to that is good but he gets in his own head around it and then the last one that he writes about i mean the one about god essentially is about an underage prostitute and then um he writes one about Knox, which is essentially a softcore pornography and yeah. soft softcore i mean some of it's not even that soft but i, I will say this that incarnation split infinity is brilliantly conceived the xanth series just um, the first eight or nine of them are, are just yeah. um, out of this world before he devolves Maybe into first ludicrousness. Um, <laughs> Centaur Isle is probably my, my, my favorite of his books ever. I read that a hundred times when I was I, a I have read that in uh, the last month. I adored Centaur yeah, it's, Isle. It's, I really, really liked it. <laughs> the concept of a, of a character who could speak to inanimate objects yeah. and what that meant. It just, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Uh, I loved those books and I love them still, but I hesitate to give them to my children. Oh to God, read. yes, Ooh. they're definitely problematic. Anthony is is he's he's just creepy. I mean, the dude's just creepy, and he he goes in terrible places. But I, I remember as a kid, I was I was reading um, 
a spell for chameleon. Somebody's like, oh man, you got to check this out. It's so great. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I read it and I flip open and there's the map of Mundania and, and, and Florida. it's Florida. Florida. I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, even it's like, you know, it was like a 12 or 13 year old kid. I'm like, I, come on, you can do better than this. It was on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, was, it was on purpose. I really did fall in love with the Xanth books in particular. Really, really enjoyed them. Yeah, like Castle Rugna and Centaur Isle. I really enjoyed those quite well, a lot. Dora's the best character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dora's fantastic. Yeah, right. Fantastic. So good. Um, or I actually quite enjoyed Ogre Ogre, believe it or not. I think running around dragon on a pedestal is when I kind of started to fade out. To me, it goes to Gollum and the Gears is where it ends. Yeah, it was around that time. But I, I started, but yeah. I remember like, oh, maybe I should go and catch up. And I remember the latest one that came out was The Color of Her Panties. I'm like, that is a red flag and i am just a teenage boy and i know better and, and i was like if, and i was like if i'm seeing the red flag everybody sees the red flag why like why is somebody not dropping a dime on piers anthony here like you know and he just kept going on forever right and this 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 really well, listen, questionable stuff. we should have known because a spell for chameleon chameleon's talent oh, essentially uh-huh. is a menstrual cycle right yeah and the conceit is <laughs> that she goes from dumb and pretty yeah, to smart and ugly as the yeah. as the, yeah. as the yeah. polar ends of a woman. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like it's impo- I didn't get that when I was ten. I, 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 right? Yeah, I remember. But, yeah, it's like it's impossible for her to be beautiful and smart at the same time. And right. I was like, "What's that about?" Like, it's yeah, you know, he had some yeah. serious issues with women, and it's like I did love some of the things he did with magic and a lot. And they're like the things that I mean, you, you don't want to start picking and choosing when you have like a pro- piece of problematic work and going well, but you know, but if you took all the Nazis out, it's, all, it's a lot of fun. Like you don't want to go there, right? But it's like there is there is a certain aspect to the Xanth books that are really, really compelling and really fun to read. And as a kid, they drew, they drew me in deeply and they helped to stoke my love of fantasy. After I got done with things like Tolkien and, and Elric and all that. Well, actually no, it was before I ever got to Elric. Anthony was like, was like my primary fantasy fix for a while. Me too. I loved Split Infinity. Oh, oh Split Infinity. I, I, I love the books, whole too. idea of it. Yeah. The whole idea of it. Right. But I mean, I went there after I finished the Lloyd Alexander Prudane books. Ah, yeah. For me, that was the next step up yeah, yeah. Right, for me. Which and those books, by the way, there is zero guilt. And that's absolutely why they not. They are those the best children's are novels. Perfect. Those books are magnificent. They are magnificent. Perfect. Gold star. And to by finish. the way, yeah. I have read those aloud to my children yeah. and had to fight back tears <laughs> yeah. reading. Those oh, back. All the, yeah, yeah. I can't. I cannot that, read uh, *Terra um, Wanderer* or *The High King*. I can't tears. read *The High King* without bawling. <laughs> I need to go okay. back to them. I haven't, I haven't read them in so, like 25 years. I really need to go back. I, more yeah, than, you can finish them in like two days. Yeah, that can yeah, it doesn't take last much. right through. So. But I will say this about, about, um, about Piers Anthony and about his stuff, that, that the sexuality is, for as a kid, as like say a 10, 11, 12 year old, I was able to access like talk, frank conversation about how men and women relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like teenagers, sort of discovering each other and their sexual and a lot of it was actually done fairly wholesome yeah, yeah. Um, and then a lot of it is absolutely terrifying <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. and so <laughs> so here i am here i am at 12 trying to navigate yeah. yeah okay what's what's a healthy relationship between yeah. um, boys and girls and men and women and and learning as i go that that Piers anthony is absolutely the last person to turn to for any sort of guidance yeah. on this subject i love to get like just like a, a sense of other fantasy authors from the era what they thought of him at the time you know men men and women alike many worked know. with him i, I know a lot, many a, a, a lot worked with them, them. but like like well, as they of course they did he was making tons he was of making, money he was making so much bank yeah. oh it was crazy he was he was like just cranking things out and he he ultimately wrote like 30 or 31 xanth novels alone I and mean, he wrote a yeah. ton of stuff I mean, he was just cranking stuff out he was the james patterson of he kind of was yeah no he was just, just a machine no. you know so so
But anyway, that's my guilty literary. Good pleasure. stuff. Good stuff. Choice. All right, next one. Tom, you're up. Your literary guilty pleasure. Star Wars novels. Uh, oh <laughs> snap! The extended universe. Yeah, like I went through this period of my life where, like, I commuted to New York from here, which is like two and a half hours each way. Yeah. And uh, I would always stop like on my way home from work, uh, getting on the train at the Long Island Railroad. I was always stop in Penn Station at Penn Books. Yeah. And they always had all of them. And so, yeah. I, you know, with nothing to do, but like, I, you know, having a need to sort of clear my head after work, I would just devour Star Wars novels. And, you know, never really thought anything of it because you could be a solitary guy on a Long Island Railroad train. You really don't care what people think of, you know, you or what you're yeah. reading. So, you know, I got away with it for a long time until like I stopped by a friend's house after, you know, I got off the train one day and I went home and the next day his mom called me and said, you left your Star Wars book at my house. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt so ashamed. I'm like, here's this woman, you know, she she put me up on a pedestal and all this, you know, she she loved that I hung out with her son all the time. uh, You know, here, here, she's like, it's like you brought drugs into the house. Yeah, it's Star Wars book. Thinking about growing this by now, you know, like that kind of tone to it. Oh my God. Uh, But but I love them. I love, I'll read any, reread any of them today. Like I just, I, I love them so much. I don't have a lot of the paperbacks anymore. They've like, you know, been lost in moves and things like mm-hmm. that. But the X-Wing series, you know, all the yes. uh, Thrawn and all Thrawn that. Trilogy, yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I just love it to death. I've always talked about how I love seeing things executed in the Star Wars universe. And like a lot of those things just gave me everything that I uh, really wanted to see about the Star Wars franchise when they killed off the extended universe, you know, I had to shed a tear for it because so many great characters were created. So many great things happened to see it go like that was just awful. I don't think you've seen a schism over orthodoxy so severe uh, since Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door. I mean, honestly, it was, you know, for a long time, those novels were kind of the only star Wars around, right? There's this big period of time where star Wars is kind of a cold property and two things kept it going, right? There's the West End Star Wars game, mad respect, played that like crazy. One of the greatest role-playing games ever made, full stop. Uh, but also a lot of the extended novels. I remember at the time, George Lucas was like, just keep in mind, they're not necessarily officially canon. People are like, shut up, old man. There's no more Star Wars except for this. So we're just going to take it and run. It had like a 20-year run. And it's like, and it's like, yeah, when they killed off the extended universe and said this is officially not canon, yeah, I really felt bad for the fans because there was an enormous amount of fan investment in those things. I was like a very orthodox Star Wars fan. I stayed away from the expanded universe novels for just that reason. I was like, one day these will all go away and I'm going to get my heart broken. My friend, Sean, the guy who sang backup with me on Renegade, he is as big a Star Wars fan as it possibly can be around. He, he kind of, you know, introduced me to a couple of the, of the books. And he's been on my back for a year. It's like, Bill, man, you got to read the Star Wars books. They're not all great. So here's, here's an, a curated list, you know. Um, he gave me a couple and they were super fun to read. The ones I've read, I've deeply enjoyed, I have to say. A few years ago, around... 2010, I'd say, a year or so, I did nothing but read Star Wars books. Got through about 250 of them. <gasps> Are there that many? Wow. I, I think it's around 250. I, I, I read a, a whole lot. I, I'm not going to admit where I got them. <laughs> the Outer Rim. We got, you got them in the Outer Rim. It's all right. <laughs> but uh, look, there, there are so many better things than Kylo Ren 
there are so many better solo children than Kylo Ren oh, in, yeah. in the extended universe mm -hmm. that it, it makes me ill to see the more recent movies, I, I, which, which I actually respect more than most. I, I, I don't hate those movies. Well, except for the last one. I, I do hate. I do hate that last one. It's a strong word hate and 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 i know we're not supposed to talk about hate on this show we all know what hate leads to uh, hate turns to suffering yeah <laughs> and so well i mean you know i i, I like maury i am clearly embracing the dark side um there's something to be said for embracing the dark side though there was great I, are there one or two i mean i know it's a, it's a vast library but are there a couple of those novels that really stand out to you? Just you just freaking love these particular novels. Oh, there's so many of them I just love, but like yeah. they did a whole series following like Wedge Antilles and you know like taking over Rogue Squadron. Those books. That's are my favorite. Fantastic. So you, yeah. you pick the Wedge. <sighs> yeah, I Wedge, is, the Wedge is awesome. He's a great character. I love Wedge. <laughs> no, he's a great character. He really is. Uh, I love that stuff, but like you know. And actually, I think some of the ones that like I really, really enjoyed, Bill, I recommended to you on the one yes. of the period lists I gave you. That yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Here's where you start, and here's where it goes from there. So yeah, uh, yeah. but like you know, like it has a special place in my heart too because like of what it did for me. And mm. by that I mean like you know, like I was working at dot coms and like working till like these insane hours and just putting in a lot of time. And like if you don't get a break from that, like a mental break from it it will literally drive you crazy so like reading these books on the train like probably saved what's left of my sanity <laughs> yeah 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 chris how about you uh th those the x-wing novels are probably my favorite the thrawn trilogy is fantastic <laughs> fantastic and and uh the whole yuzhan yuzhan vong war yeah. cycle is also really good uh that's that's when the solo children are are a big deal so have we got through everybody, Chris? Have we gotten to you yet? No. Hit drop it. We can skip me. No, we can't. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> no, we can't. Uh -uh. I'm going to go with my original choice and say the novels of Tom Clancy. Ooh. Um, oh yeah, the smart man's Mac Bolin. <laughs> yeah, like like I feel like I'm stepping on your feet a little bit, but no, you're really not. You're really not. Yeah, go ahead. Clancy, I mean. Well, I, you know, Clancy is uh, a reactionary, but those novels, his novels are, they, they have paper-thin characters, elaborate plots, almost no arty feeling to them as writing, but they're so functional. <laughs> functional is yeah. a good word. Clancy is a good storyteller. Yeah. He really is. He he's limited, but he 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 does really really cool things with the story. And uh, again, in in the last year, I have read Red Storm Rising, which I I will never get tired of. I, I love that book <laughs> there so it is. much. I think it'll stop a bullet. That thing is huge. Probably the book that evokes the most visceral um, reactions from me is Executive Orders. Yeah, it, it that's is, the last one I read literally a playbook for every right-wing fantasy about the deep state and about why yeah. it's wrong it's it's literally every page has incorrect assumptions and like yeah. almost blasphemy to me yeah 
on it. Like this is the one where right the plane crashes in the Capitol and kills the government. And here comes Jack Ryan, super spy, who by virtue of being a, a smart guy is going to rebuild the government the right way with lower taxes and more guns. And it just, it literally, I read it in, in a rage and I'll go back and read it again <laughs> 10 years yes. later in the same rage. And it, so it is because it is, it is a brilliantly constructed farce. Yeah. Time to get my rage on. <laughs> I, I love these books. Um, I, I remember yeah, I was an English major in college. I had a, a professor, Jim Warren. Oh, bless him. Uh, he, he was my English professor. I, I, I had a, a class with him every semester. He assigned a lot of reading and, and one day I came into class, I was early, and I had, I think it was Red Storm Rising. It might have been, you know, one of the Jack Ryan books. And I was reading it, you know, waiting for class to start. And Jim walks up and, and he's like, wow, you must have a lot of extra time for reading. <laughs> like, like, like he was doing an inadequate job as a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allowing me time to read this garbage. <laughs> <laughs> seeing you read it wounded him yeah. like, I, well, it, I, I think it hurt him I, I think he <laughs> lost respect for me permanently that's so funny yeah, that's so good well you know you mentioned he's, he was Clancy was a functional writer you know it's funny I, he reminded me of um, of James Clavell you know the Shogun and Taipan and Whirlwind all those massive Noble House yeah and there's just like I like the House. perfect airport novels right uh, like these are James Mishner yeah these are just you know that, that kind of zone and um, he can tell a story but he wasn't a great writer but he knew how to just pack it in with the kind of details that his targeted readers would really eat up so yeah. he would just go off on like acronym alphabet soup like crazy he just went bonkers you know he did a series of nonfiction books that are basically sort of like the quick reference guides for the Tom Clancy verse. So he did a book like Marine, you know, Cav, you know, uh, submarine. You know a, a, a submarine, and just just a Tom Clancy little faux textbook on all the things that he liked to talk about. And it was it was amazing stuff to to, to read, you know, from a from a, that point of view. But yeah, no, super. I mean, it, it's it's amazing that books that thick could have stories that thin. <laughs> it, is, it is interesting. That, you know, Chris, you and I have talked before that you, as, as much as I do, enjoy the Patrick O'Brien, um, Aubrey Matterin books, mm. which are literally the same sort of thing, just done so much better. Yeah. Because wow, yeah. O'Brien, that's an interesting analogy. O'Brien huh. dumps, I mean, they're both military stories, yeah. right? But, but like O'Brien dumps a ton of jargon and a ton of foreign language and information and foreign language, yeah. and, but it's so masterfully crafted with character and setting like and it's essentially like okay that is like what if tom clancy was a, a literate human being um <laughs> you might get in his books i would i would tell you a funny tom clancy story when i was doing rpg writing i had come across some some publishers i knew and they knew one of his ghostwriters and when clancy got divorced uh, this ghostwriter was one of the assets that Clancy and his ex, soon-to-be ex-wife were fighting over, over who patrolled him. <laughs> I was like, wow. This person was like, I got caught up in Clancy's divorce. I'm like, that's impressive. That's a, that's a good ghostwriter, you know, you know, metal to pin on your chest there. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> Moving on to the last section here. I know this is really, we've covered a lot of ground here, but the last one is play, pastimes. I know, Tom, you had mentioned guilty pleasure pastimes. So I'm going to let you kick off this one because you seem to have something you really wanted to talk about. So 
take it away. Uh, well, you know, I, I have a lot of like solitary hobbies, you know, things I can spend, I can do by myself. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, helps me get my head and, you know, it, it, it's like I was talking about before, like commuting on the train. Like sometimes you just got to clear sure. your head. So I have a lot, you know, coin collecting and, and things like that. The thing that like I love so much that actually creeps me out is <laughs> metal detecting. Like, yeah, like sometimes I can be that creepy guy on the beach who's, you know, sweeping his little thing back and forth. <laughs> but like, wait, whoa, 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 you mean the metal detector? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Just stop it, Joe. <laughs> You're a terrible man. Go on, Tom. Yeah, it, it had to be done. If you don't mind, Mr. Pace, Mr. Sweep Tom is telling a story. Back and forth, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, but I mean, like, you know, I have seen like, you know, families like walk away from me on a beach. <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah. It, is a, it is a creepy, creepy hobby filled with, you know, crazy, crazy people. But I do love it so much. I mean, like on one of my first times out, I, I you know, I, I got a, um, an old uh, half dime, like which is an ancient coin. I had, had no idea like existed before yeah. I found one in the ground. It was like one of the coolest feelings in the world. Wow. And like literally you don't know like what you're going to find. Like it could be a bunch of like pull tabs from from beer cans or, you know, it could be something really valuable. And, you know, I I've, I've found... Yeah. Um, you know, rings, I've found uh, necklaces, you know, that certain beaches and certain parks are actually, uh, parks are usually better than beaches in terms of finding like valuable stuff. It, it's a guilty pleasure because like, you know, the hobby's got such a bad rap. Yeah, <laughs> like, so- Everybody what- assumes that you're a creep. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, so is there any truth to that? Or like, is it a hobby that's sort of, that's where it draws creeps? Or is it just like this wide misperception about a, an it otherwise kind of harmless does. Like, I would not, I would not recommend visiting metal detecting forums. <laughs> you know, I'm sure what? a lot of people, <laughs> there are great, but there are a few, you know, you know, I know, I know all about it. Like those types <laughs> of people. You know? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, it's it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> not not sorry, not weird that you do metal detecting. It's weird that there's like this, this odd subculture attached to it that I would never have thought about. Like I've seen people at the beach doing the metal detector thing, and I just I always just thought the only thing that weirded me out was like, man, you're at the beach, you could be swimming. Why are you detecting metal on the beach? I could see like over the years having this funky collection of just the weird little odds and ends you pulled up that were just inches away. You never knew it. Like I find that very compelling. It's a, it's a neat thing. It is very neat. I actually, you know, recommend you try it. You can get like a cheap metal detector for like a hundred bucks or something and uh, try it out as a hobby. It's uh, it's good. Cause you know, there are long boring yeah. <laughs> sort of stretches to it sometimes. It let <laughs> yeah. you think about other things, but uh, you know, nothing gets your heart beating, like finding, you know, getting that contact. <laughs> You know, there are different types of contacts, so like you don't know what it might be initially, yeah. but uh, when you see gold come up, that's that's a rush. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So my guilty pleasure hobby is genealogy. A couple of years ago, I started researching my family history with the Coffin family. There's a wide most people in this country with the last name of Coffin. They kind of presume that they are related to the Coffins who founded Nantucket Island, right? And, and descended from Tristram Coffin. I had this one cousin who was just an insufferable killjoy. We're not, we're not really Coffins. We were adopted in the family. You know, we're not really Coffins, right? So don't get hung up on the name. I'm like, well, wait, what? And I was like, well, why would she say that? I'm like, well, because she's she likes to take the joy out of things. But I'm like, well, I got to figure this mystery out. Some years ago, I just I kind of idly, I'm like, I'm just going to research, you know, this thing that she, she said it and kind of stuck under my skin for years. I'm like, I'm just going to find out what the real deal is. What was she figuring it out? And, and I solved the little family mystery. It turns out we actually we were in the family. It was kind of a weird little 
thing where well, I'm not going to get into it, but th- the thing is, it got me interested in these uncovering these other kind of family mysteries, like, well, who was what and where and when that sort of thing. But the reason why it's a guilty pleasure is I've learned that a, this is largely a hobby for old people, right? Like I am, I am probably under the average age of your amateur genealogist by like 15 to 20 years from when I, from when I have learned, when I reach out to other people, for the most part, they're well older than I am. It seems to be a hobby that like really appeals to people who are retired and have a lot of time in their hands. But yeah, it's also a, a guilty pleasure because I've learned that nobody in my family wants to hear me talk about it. <laughs> like I bring it up. It's like, okay, dad. I'm like, hey, you want to hear about this 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 old timey relative of yours who got busted for counterfeiting? No, dad. No, I don't. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I've amassed all this amazing history, all these cool stories. And everybody's like, dude, man, that is your thing to leave us the hell out of it. So I'm like, okay, so great hobby. Yeah. Every, every family, by the way, Bill has one of those people who goes deep into the family <laughs> history and, you know, uh, we'll talk about it quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, Joe, you're up. Uh, a video game that I, that I started this summer playing and I started to play it with my kids as a way to spend time with my children. And now that's become a, a cover story. And that is uh, the Pokemon Go oh, on the phone. Love, and, I love, I, oh, go ahead. Right. And I, and I, I like I said, I started, uh, my brother did it when it first came out years ago. And and then he was like, you got to play with it. He was always a Pokemon guy. He yeah. did the card game. He did the, the shows and all that. And I was always like, because uh, it falls into me. Like, you know me, I like Japanese cultural stuff has never been compelling to me. So I kind of shy away from that stuff. But then this summer, you know, with nothing much else to do during the, the lockdowns and stuff, we, the kids and I got it on, you know, on the phones. And now my boys and I will walk around and we'll hunt Pokemon together and we'll trade and we'll talk about it. And it's, it's become really a nice connection to have with my kids. Yeah. And I also do it by myself too. <laughs> That's um, the guilt. But yeah, yeah, the guilt is, <laughs> yeah, the, the guilt, the, the, well, the guilt is like if you're watching a show with your wife on Netflix and you watch a couple of shows ahead yeah. when she's not around, yeah. like that's kind of how it feels when I play by myself. But when you, when you kids, kids realize you've leveled up well past they have, well past where they are, well past. My kids still beg me for Pokemon. Can I have that? Yeah, absolutely. Here you go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got four. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had yeah. a spot on the beach, you know, for a number of years. Bill's visited, but uh, yeah. right outside, you know, it's, it was connected to the boardwalk in Point Pleasant. Dude, and right outside was a pokey stop. It was a whole cluster, yeah. Wi-Fi of the house, so it became Uh-oh. this point of we we're putting our stuff in the gym and nobody is kicking us out and if we notice that somebody's trying to kick us out we're going to kick them out and we stayed in that gym like the whole summer <laughs> okay i've never said this before i remember i i joined you guys out there one time it was wonderful you guys are delightful hosts i was so glad to get out there and hang with you guys for a day dude i saw your kids playing and i was like oh they're they're staying on top of oh my god they're right there i would be grinding that non-stop i was so envious i'm like holy crap i wish my house had a pokestop off the corner that would have been fantastic i gotta i know i gotta go and hump half a mile into the park to go get to the nearest gym yeah, you know? right, right right yeah it's a three mile walk for me and yeah. this summer i would yeah. do the three mile walk spin it and walk back yeah. and take the dogs yeah. and it was great yeah. it was really cool and and you know honestly like believe it or not like you get a lot of good exercise yeah, yeah, no no it, it's I mean, great it, it's fine yeah. But the other cool thing is like around the world, there are different 
Um, difference. My brother yes. who works for Lego travels or used to travel around the world a lot, um, whether it was to Hong Kong or to Europe or to, you know, wherever else. And he would come back and he would go like, oh, they've got Kangaskhan there. They've got, yeah. you know, Mr. Mime or whatever <laughs> yeah. else. You know? and I'm like, I, does your company know, does your company know that they're paying yeah. you to go? Oh, dude, I had to go to a conference in Amsterdam. I was so stoked. I was able to get Mr. Mime. He was like all over the place. I'm like, yes, <laughs> finally, like for three years. I'm like, yes, I'm going to finally get my generation one locked out. I was so stoked. I was like, oh, I was so happy. Um, yeah, but, but no, I had the exact same experience with you. Like my kids were into it. I played to join with them and had a huge amount of fun playing with them. Uh, doing. It. Then they quit and I just kept on going. And really, I don't think it stopped me was like, I developed really bad problems with my hips. So walking became very painful. Mm-hmm. So getting out and walking around was the thing I didn't want to do anymore. But I was like working on Wall Street and I get out lunchtime, Poka stops a go-go down there, right? You just walk around like a mile. And just, it's just really unfair playing in New York. Like uh... <laughs> It really, really was. It was just bonkers, right? But like you'd walk around and you go to the gyms and you see all these other like financial cats who are just like <laughs> come out and they're in these big, they're on these like really nice suits come out and they're sitting and look at you and like, like, yeah, you're, I know what you're doing because I'm doing the same thing. No judgment. Let's let's fight. <laughs> like I'm gonna take. Like, come on. Let's get that. Let's go. Let's go take that raid. Yeah, together. it's like, come on, Mystic. I'm taking this gym right off you. Pa, pa, pa. You know, the guy's sitting there playing with two phones. And, oh, this was nuts. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I totally feel you. Um, I totally feel the disapproving looks you get. Like you're a 50 year old man playing Pokemon Go. What's wrong with you? Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I'm addicted to an awesome game. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you know, my business partner didn't come into work one day and say like the next time i run into somebody who stopped to catch a pokemon i'm gonna <laughs> lose my mind <laughs> you stop in the middle of the sidewalk down there oh, oh yeah i yeah, know it, it, it was fantastic so we used to go to new york comic-con regularly and i've never cosplayed there the closest i got to it was when your pokemon go was started it was really huge and so we built an actual Pokestop on like a dowel rod stick that you hit it and you hit it, it was independent, it would spin, right? <laughs> and so I walked around just my normal clothes and I was just, I was a Pokestop, right? Just walking around and then people were like, oh, and I was like, this is Pokestop. I'm like, yeah, you want to spin it? Like what? And they hit it and then I go, and now you get some candy. And I had this big, oh. and I had this big bag, these little like micro erasers, you know? And a lot of this was my wife's idea, by the way, but I just executed yeah. it. So she was the architect and she built the Pokestop and everything. But I would hand things out and people went ballistic. There's this one guy dressed up as Spider-Man. He was so good. He got on like the BuzzFeed article for Comic-Con. Like, oh, check out the Spider-Man. And I was like, oh yeah. yeah. He came by, he goes, Pokemon. And he, he does it. And I give him, the, I, I'm like, here's your candy. He goes, this is the greatest day of my life. And just runs off, <laughs> right? And, and it was, but like, it was, the, it was the greatest. People were taking my picture. Like the, I was the guy. Cause I had this walking Pokestop. I got why people cosplayed. Like I really understood in that moment. Like I wasn't Bill. I was the do. I was the walking Pokestop, and people treated you like you were a rock star. And it was a lot of fun. And it was so cool. And I remember as soon as I put it away, instantly it's like Superman puts the glasses on. Like suddenly it's like I'm just a guy again, you know. And I, and very interesting experience. But I love doing that. And I was like, cosplay is a lot of fun. And I totally get it. I have to agree. Yeah, I I, I went to uh, Comic Con as as a Jedi once. It was a magnificent experience. I, oh, yeah. I adored it. I yeah. being able to like hand like a, a four year old girl your lightsaber. Uh, yeah. I, I had the blade oh. off. I took the blade off just so you know I was just walking around with the the handle. Yeah, it was real to them. Yeah, you yeah. know. And uh, well, it's like think it about it's so like neat. Disney when you go and you have Disney character actors yeah. for the children that are there, yeah. right? It's the same sort of experience. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely same deal. Yeah. So. Very cool. Well, look, before we wrap up, a final thought. 
Oh, you could, Chris has to have some kind of a guilty pastime. Screw Crenshaw. Screw him. No, I'm sorry. You <laughs> know what? Sucks. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I think is it uh, handing his lightsaber to four year old girls? Yeah. I mean, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Chris, guilty pleasure pastime. Over to you. Okay. Um, there is a game called Marvel Puzzle Quest. I play on uh, my Android. Like <laughs> show's going off. He's like, I know. Every single. Day. I love that game. I have not. I have not missed a day playing that game for at least five years <laughs> wow i play it for half an hour a day or so in the morning and, get your deadpool daily yeah get my deadpool daily yeah. and uh but i think i think maybe the guiltiest pleasure for me you haven't missed it like seriously haven't missed a day of it i do i do not believe so like you didn't, you didn't have like off. a hangover day somewhere in there or something no, else. Like no. there's always there's no always days, a, there's no always travel. a morning poop. There's always exactly. A Let's just put it that way. Okay? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is part of my morning ritual. Uh, I do. And it there are no the Pokemon road. in my bathroom. I do it at home. So and and uh, like at this point, uh, I, I can't forget it. You know, I can't. Yeah, I yeah. can't just forget. So that that that's a little bit guilty, but I, I think I think the guiltiest. You guys know I'm a soccer fan, right? And I am a sucker for football manager. Um, Dude, our, our mutual friend Jay Pascal has been playing football manager for years and years and years. And has, I mean, he is crazy deeply invested into it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I've played like, I don't know, three or four different versions. I'm on, I'm on uh, 2020 right now because it was recently made free on the Epic Store. You know, I, I cheat you gave a little me a bit very dangerous piece of information. I'm sorry, Chris. It's free <laughs> in the store. But the thing about these games is that it's like it's like playing a spreadsheet. Yeah, there's no playing the game. You know, you no. you you buy players, you bring them in, you loan them in, and you yeah. put them together. You try to find the right combinations and the right tactics. And you simulate it, right? And, yeah. And it's all simulated. And, and then they, you know, the, the soccer game plays out and, you know, you're not kicking the ball from guy to guy. You're just deciding when to make substitutions, when to adjust your tactics, when to yell at your players to show some passion or, you know, whatever. But ultimately it's like playing a spreadsheet because you're, yeah. the, the, the essential thing that you're doing is making decisions about players and, and who's going to work for you. It's like having a job. It's, I, I, I am, well, actually I didn't pay because it was free, but I have paid for the privilege of pretending to do someone else's job for them. And that's goddamn stupid. Chris, I have played, I have played, I can't tell you how many seasons uh, with out of the park baseball, which is the same sort of thing, but with, with baseball and you can play historical simulations. You can go back and like take over the 1940 Red Sox and it's all historically accurate right down to like whatever the financial aspects of the time yeah. were like the, what the salary demands at the time like these things are so incredibly deep yeah. i always buy the new version every year when it comes out and it's 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 fantastic you know the you showcase how bad the red Sox are <laughs> yeah why would you play the 1940 red Sox? <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of taking over the a team you take them over at a low point and build them back right. up like you would do no, with the current uh, i'm a newcastle fan so i get that but um <laughs> i don't know it, it's basically sort of insane like the whole idea of it even though with with football manager i mean real live soccer teams use the football manager player database as a scouting tool like it, that's how realistic and dense it is it's part of the data set yeah 
it is a real life thing now. Like the, the game is impinging on the sport. And, and yet you're still paying money to pretend to do someone else's job for them. You played Burger Time. I mean, come on, we've been doing this stuff for years. Happer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> pretend to be a bartender. Well, like, how, how is that different, though? Like, you know, you read the sports section of any New York, you know, newspaper, and you have all these people who can claim they could do the managerial job a lot better for any of the New York sports teams. Like, there's probably some value in just turning around and putting it on them and saying, Hey, you know what? Show me, don't tell me. <laughs> yeah. with, with football manager though. I mean, there's like a pretty robust fan base for that game. Isn't there? Oh my I mean, goodness, I, yes. I, 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 like there have been people who've been like hardcore playing it for a long time. They have over and over identified like 15 year olds that became actual stars. Yeah. It really is amazing. I, I feel like the money that the developers invest in it is is actually largely in in scouting, as opposed yeah. to programming. Yeah. Well, once you've got the programming, then you just kind of update it with tweaks each year. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. For the last month, I have hardly watched television. I have hardly watched movies. The nice thing about Football Manager is that I can have a book on my lap when I re when I play it. Because, you know, a lot of the time I'm just waiting for, you know, the other games yeah. to cycle. So it, it, is, it is a hobby that, and, that allows yeah. you to have another hobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're multi-classing. You can listen to the nylon. Right. While yeah. You're <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Before we wrap up, a final thought here. So back when I was writing role-playing games for a living, uh, this is back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, I came across this pretty evocative word. And the word was bad wrong fun, right? And bad wrong fun is basically another way of saying guilty pleasure, except there's more to it than just that. When I first encountered it, it was on a message board where role-playing professionals and enthusiasts kind of came together and talked all the time. And there were very much certain games and certain ways of playing them that were in vogue. Uh, out of style was the old, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, dungeon crawling type RPGs. And in style was much more, you know, deep character development and, you know, narration, the less combat, the better. And I didn't think either way was inherently bad or good, but some were for some gamers and some were for other gamers. And that was okay. Nope. Being an old school D&D murder hobo was no longer considered a good or right way to play. But the funny thing was the same folks who were gatekeeping on some games and not on others still had these exceptions they made room for. If there was an RPG that favored, you know, cinematic action or had a great loot mechanism or whatever, uh, but still felt out of step with the zeitgeist, then they were dubbed bad wrong fun. They were considered to be not well made. They were considered to be the wrong kind of role playing game when compared to current design and writing trends. And yet, despite all that, they were enjoyable. They were the kind of fun you didn't really want to admit to yourself uh, that you were having or that you wanted to proclaim in mixed company. They were bad. They were wrong. They were fun. They were bad, wrong fun. The problem with bad, wrong fun is that it's an exclusionary and judgmental way to look at things that bring you joy. I mean, how bad or wrong can it really be if it brings you joy? If you feel like you don't have social permission to enjoy something that clearly appeals to you, then... Maybe the problem isn't the thing you like. Maybe the problem are the rules by which you're allowing yourself to like anything. You know, life is short and joy is fleeting. And it's so easy to feel that somehow we need to hide the things we like for fear of judgment that, you know, that they may invite. But the reality is we don't need to hide anything. 
we really don't need to seek each other's approval or apologize for enjoying something that makes us happy. So long as it's not hurting others, all we need to do is take what we love and let it give us the strength to pass that love along. It's a rough world out there. It needs all the love it can get. What it doesn't need is another invisible layer of social bureaucracy. You know, that thing that you love so much, that weird thing, the one nobody ever heard of or the one nobody else likes or the one that you see people beating up online or the one that has zero critical praise, that thing is awesome because it's your thing. Hold it close and enjoy it. And don't be afraid to share it because it and you are worth sharing. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Chris, Tom, and Joe, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com. <laughs>